Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm Alexis McKittrick, your FY24 SWE president, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. I'm joined today by Claudine Schmook, and we are here in the Diverse podcast booth live at WE23. Claudine is the founder and managing director of Global Contact, and we're so happy to have her on this episode to present her findings from the Global Gender Scan Survey, which provides insights on women's representation in STEM. Claudine, welcome to the show, and I can't wait to learn more about this important work that you're doing with GenderScan. Well, thanks, Kitty, and uh, well, hello to you, too. I'm so glad to be here and discover the whole big conference today. It's a fun atmosphere at We23, right? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I must say it's uh, very, very impressive. And the first speaker of the conference, which you introduced just a few minutes earlier, mm-hmm. Kate Maxwell, it's such an inspiring woman. Amazing. Yep. She's amazing. I love the vulnerability that she yeah. showed on stage and the great lessons that she had for everyone. So glad that you're enjoying the conference already. And thanks for being the first person in our live uh, podcast booth. This is going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> Let's move. (laughs) All right. So let's go. Can you set the stage a little bit for us and share with our listeners a little bit about what is GenderScan and what's the overall mission of the initiative? Okay. Well, GenderScan is actually a survey I have launched uh, about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I myself have been uh, the public sector working for cabinets of ministries in France, you know, various cabinets actually with uh, several uh, actions such as, you know, showing innovations in France in uh, foreign countries, like actually in the United States in those days, and also Japan and things like that. Mm. And then I moved into the private sector and was direct report for certain numbers of CEOs, particularly in the IT industry. And at one point, I came to realize that there were very, very few women in in all of those areas that, you know, were speaking. Mm -hmm. And I took the chance, I took the chance to create my own company and with GenderScan, fight for what I believe in too, which is basically... I think we need, the world need, equal involvement of women in STEM. And to make that happen, since I had also been working for a little while for McKinsey, I decided to develop a survey which provide key indicators on what was happening and indicators so as to identify key levers for action. How can we make it change? How can we make it happen? Which is actually the whole focus of the conference here, right? To make it happen and to make it change, which actually you're succeeding to do because I understand that you're already 20,000, you know, people here, which is just amazing from uh, what Kate was saying, like three or four thousand a few years ago. I mean, yes, amazing. Yes, it's the largest conference in Swiss history, which is really exciting. And unsurprisingly, right, that your notes on gender scans goals and increasing parity for women in STEM, increasing equality for women in STEM, those are all goals that really resonate with the society and certainly mm-hmm. sweet at SWE, we feel like that those are core, right, to our vision and our mission for a greater world. The survey aspect of this is really interesting to me because I really like how you talked about 
the outcome is actions, yep. right, from gender scan. So talk to me a little bit about how the survey questions that go into that and how you get from survey questions to action. Well, basically, we have, I mean, the whole, the, you know, as an, an ex-McKinney, we have a little bit of tendency like, to think in terms of frameworks, right? <laughs> so we're thinking about the overall picture, which is a leaky pipeline, how basically the proportion of women drops out from education, secondary, tertiary, you know, university, and then employment. And in employment, then we sort of focused on what was happening to women in STEM jobs. So the questions are basically focusing on what's happening really on the three, I mean, critical elements, critical components, which are actually organization of work, mm. career management, and parental support. Because I, I do believe, as actually is really strongly highlighted by the current, you know, uh, Nobel Prize, the woman, Claudia Golden, that, you know, there is a framework which makes it happen or not for women. And those elements I'm just talking about are these elements of the framework, which are so important, particularly in organizational work. Absolutely. That is, I really like you discussing the three pillars in particular and that kind of work and career. And of course, parental responsibility is, it's really great to hear that gender scan and the work that you're doing covers all those different facets, right? It's not focused on one aspect yeah. of kind of what's needed for women's equality in STEM. You really have a, a great breadth. Um, yeah, but basically what we've done is go, go through an analysis of the literature to try to understand what was happening mm. and understand, you know, basically what made the difference between men and women so different in those careers. Mm. And one of the major things that we observe in STEM industries and that we've been observing, we were actually among the first one to see that uh, element, which is basically there is a strong attrition rate for women in STEM, right? There's a 30 to 40% drop of women in STEM jobs. And why is that? It has been demonstrated, we demonstrated it in 2016, but then Harvard or MIT generated surveys on their own with different protocols, which actually demonstrated the same thing. And this comes basically, when does it happen? When do they drop out? 10 or 15 years after they enter STEM jobs. And why does it happen? It's because at one point, when you want to have children, mm -hmm. when you have a family, it sort of makes it very difficult for you to have a career as an engineer, right? And you have issues linked to organization of times, mm -hmm. and you also have issues linked to how do you take care of children, parental support, you know, all those things, which actually either lead women to take part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And the issue there is then when you take a part-time job, it means that you will drop out from career, you know, perspectives and so forth, right? And if you don't take part-time jobs, mm -hmm. then it's a very, very complicated, you know, thing to manage all everything together. And when I was talking about, you know, indicators, with gender scan, what we do is that we really focus on seeing what can be improved upon. What can make the situation of men and women equal before, you know, when you take that element into consideration? The answers are very simple. It's flex time or remote work, right? And you know, one of the amazing things I found out in our survey is that, it's incredible in fact, men are more engineer, men, uh, there are more men having access to flex time flexible schedule than women. What? Yeah, it's incredible. It's not logical at all when we need that, that much more, right? 
So that's one point. And the other thing is that, you know, remote work, it's not any kind of remote work. It has to be well established that it is remote work, which is recognized as work, you know, because often you have, and particularly you have that issue in a certain number of countries where remote work is not legally recognized. Then you have double work, right? Work at the office and work at home. You do need to have a legal or strong recognition from the company for remote work. And then when that happens, then it provides women with a real degree of freedom. So the solutions are there, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness, so much of what you just said just resonated with me in my core. The motherhood penalty, right? I, I, yeah. I know that a lot of members in SWE, a lot of women in engineering and technology, they, they feel that, they they live through that. And the fact that you and GenderScan are gathering data, right, and information to help support what are the best practices, what is, what's needed going forward in order to fix this, to right. break down these barriers. That's so, so powerful. And you know, what's really interesting is that what we do in GenderScan is that we ask men and women to and answer the same questions. And we find out that what men, women want is not so far from what men want. You know, if more men are using flex time, it's because they need it, right? If more men are using remote work, it's also because they recognize it's, you know, an effective way of working, right? So, and the other thing which is good for company and we have to highlight more strongly is that what women need, what women want is so much in tune with what new generations want, right? The way new generations think about the work. We need a meaning. We don't want to be, you know, absorbed by our, our work to 150%. We need a life aside our work, right? And that's just when you think of what's needed for women to be able to work in a proper manner, it meets actually the need of those young generations. So those companies who implement gender policies in line with women demand mm-hmm. will be, in additional added value, more attractive to younger generations. That's a win-win all the way, right? Absolutely. If you, if you want to stay relevant for your workforce, for the workforce that is the starting their careers now and will be continuing, you gotta you got to update and think about this value structure that, that this younger generation is thinking about, is valuing their home, is valuing their life, is valuing their work, but also all of those things together, right? Exactly. Not, not exactly. in of themselves. So we ta- we're talking a little bit already, I feel like, about some of the, the results that Right. That, that the gender scan most recent edition from 2021 has come out with. But I'd love to hear a little bit more, right, about these findings. Are there any major trends or changes from past data that you all have gathered or anything else to, to highlight from this recent one? Sure, sure. I was talking about, you know, the leaky pipeline issues. And mm-hmm. actually, what, what, what we've been talking right now is because we're here at the Women in Engineering. I would like to call it Summit, right? Mm. <laughs> Conference. Absolutely. Uh, sorry. But basically, we look at what happens to young teenagers, students, and then women at work, right? And basically, there are two very different dynamics that work, you know, on those two perimeters. Before job when you're just training, education, and what happens in employment. And basically, what happens in education is that you have, when you look globally, because as you highlighted, no, gender scan is a global survey, basically you have two groups of countries, those with the percentage of women in STEM studies that will be below 30% or around 30%, which is actually the majority of countries you know, in the world. 
but you do have some exceptions, sometimes very surprising exceptions. Like, for instance, uh, you don't think that much enough of it. I think we were among the first one to realize it, you know, 10 years ago, and now it's a little bit more well-known. But, you know, there are like 45% of STEM students graduating in the Middle East and North Africa are women. Isn't that surprising? And in the first time I learned about it, I, I found it was quite surprising, right? We have also Eastern European countries where women are more numerous, and that's the legacy of communism. Mm. And then we also have some countries in East Asia, where you do have, for instance, in India or other countries, you have a higher percentage of women in STEM studies. Also, in Myanmar, also mm. the percentage before, you know, the dictatorship came over, mm-hmm. um, is the percentage of women in STEM is quite high. Mm-hmm. All, those, all of those things happen in those various countries for different reasons. So there are those dynamics where, you know, countries with a percentage of women below 30 or around 30, mm-hmm. and in some countries there, is, there are some exceptions. On one hand, these are the dynamics for, empl- for education. When you look at employment, then the picture is more, you know, not as good. In other, in, other, in other words, there are no countries where women represent more than 30% of the STEM workforce, right? Mm. A little bit, a little bit more sometimes, but it will be about 31 33%. But those countries which have a high percentage of women among STEM students, you know what happens? What happens? They do not have access to the labor market. Uh, Isn't that wonderful? I was wondering where the drop-off came from. Oh, that's disappointing uh, to hear. It's incredible, right? So you see, very two different dynamics. And your question was because I don't, re- I don't forget your question. What, what the trend, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bad news is that there is no change. When you look at the data for the past 10 to 15 years, it's flat. Okay. When I was coming over here, I was discussing in a bus with you know, some of those wonderful women engineers you have here, and they were telling me, oh, it's going to be great to go and listen to you. I'm sure we're making progress. And I was saying, well, I'm not sure. In fact, no, there is no progress. And I was telling them, you know, the, the issue with women in all those uh, tech uh, sectors, you know, you have to think you are in a car, right? And you're pressing on the gear, right, to climb that steep mountain, and you have to press to, to gain one, two, three meters, right? But as soon as, so to make progress takes, you know, a lot of time. You just release the pressure a little bit and you go down. And what that's a what great happens. analogy. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to think as we have the, the pedals to the floor pretty much all the time trying to get, yeah. but we can't, we can't do it alone, right? No, no. We are all working together to try to reverse some of these trends or in this case, try to take that flat line, that unfortunate and disappointing flat line and have it start to, to curve up. That's what it's so, all about, right? Right. And so let's talk about the solution space then. If this is what the data is showing us, that a lot of these trends are unfortunately flat or we're seeing a good percentage of women going studying engineering and technology, but then not going into the workforce. You talked a little bit about culture already, but are there, are there other things that that we can do? Are there other things that the research is pointing towards to say, this is how we can fix it and how we can enter a solution space? Sure, sure. Basically, I mean, I'll be, um, I mean I'm going to be very, very basic with another picture. I hope that my, uh, I'll be able to express it in English. <laughs> mm. You know, I'm, I'm using the metaphor of the bucket, which we have a, we have a hole at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, the, the issue here is that, you know, when you think of women in STEM jobs, there is this attrition rate, which to me represents 
the hole, right? So you need, for me, the priority is to fix that. Fix we the hole. Need, yeah. yeah. And make it so that the government can create the legislation, the companies can commit, and they can, and they do some, and some effectively commit, to make, make changes so that the situation of women and men are equal before work, right? So to me, that's the first priority. Because we are getting more research now on how to attract more effectively girls into these STEM jobs, right? But the young teenagers are not stupid, right? I mean, if they hear those stories about women not feeling happy in STEM jobs, it's not going to work that much, right? Right. So it, you don't fill a bucket with a hole in your, you pour on one side and it and spills out on the other. So you need first to fix, and then you can focus on attracting more girls. And how do we make that more effective than what we find right now? And that's actually an, uh, an experiment um, we're conducting in Europe right now. Oh. Uh, basically, we focus on a systemic, systemic approach. Mm. What does it mean? It means that we must start... Uh, focusing on not only girls themselves, but the key prescribers, mm. parents and teachers. Because let me share with you another thing I've dis- we've discovered. <laughs> I'm all ears, Bonnie. What is it? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you. Ear to ear. <laughs> just, just between us and you just know, all us. of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, because to me, it was just an amazing thing I found, we found out. We have this survey with uh, women and men in engineering schools, right? So we asked to those uh, young students, have you been disencouraged to enter those studies, right? And you know what? What? 40% of women in STEM studies have been discouraged to enter those studies, right? 40%? Wow. Which is about somehow twice more than boys, right? Right. I, I, I am unsurprised that it's twice as many as boys. The 40% that no, is a different, tough, the different tough statistic. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Well, it depends from countries. The, the gap is not that high always. But anyway. Mm. And you know who discourages most? Teachers and parents. Oh, okay. And you know what are the key arguments? What are they? Come on, you're a girl. It's not for you. It's not going to be comfortable. You don't have the competences. Why are you thinking of doing something like that? You know, you have to take care of your family. You know, things like that. That cultural perception you were talking about earlier, and it permeates into all of these voices that women are hearing. That's why I was thinking that what Kate Maxwell was saying, like you know, be brave and assume your difference. That's a very powerful thing to say to women because I mean, you know, they say sometimes that women don't have enough confidence in themselves. But then when you've been told over and over and over again, you're not as good, you shouldn't go there, it's not for you. Of course there is a confidence, a lack of confidence, right? So basically, so therefore our action is targeted at teachers, parents, Mm. so that basically we start teaching them also how important and how valuable are women's contribution to Mm -hmm. tech. And we do that, for instance, right now by developing a huge exhibit, which is actually, you know, distributed to all colleges, secondary schools in France on women innovators and only women on tech for good types of innovations in all sectors. And what's really interesting is that we see a shift. We see that, you know, more and more teachers are asking for it. And the exhibit is over-described, which tells something 
something is, is sort of beginning to change. So that's the systemic approach. Mm. The second thing is that you do need also another innovation you need to bring in attracting more girls into this field is continuous action. Often you will have one set of actions, but you will not have, you know, a whole, think about the whole cycle of actions that have to be built over and, and over again. So mm. that's the whole other, other element. After the exhibit, we offer uh, training, we offer coaching, we offer all types of action, either presidential or, uh, you know, online, offline or online. And we'll be looking at what happens because the third innovation is impact measurement. Mm. Because a lot of times, one of the key issues is that on all those actions conducted with girls is lack of impact measurement. Mm. I love that. I am really excited to hear that the exhibit is oversubscribed. I'm hopeful that that engenders some change. But I really love that you all took the finding, right, of the influence of, of teachers and parents, and you're trying to find something like actionable that will help impact that. Exactly. Change those viewpoints of these folks that honestly are some of the most influential in young women's lives. Exactly. And, and make sure that they are not thinking that there's any reason why a woman or a young woman should not be pursuing engineering or technology. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to convince them and make them our ambassadors, right? I really appreciate hearing what you and what GenderScan are doing, your recommendations for governments, for companies. What can our individual listeners do, right? So we have a lot of folks listening to this podcast who will be excited that there's data, but maybe immediately want to take action and, and help improve the situation that we're finding ourselves in. Are there things that individuals can do to help support this effort? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I do. I'm a strong believer, you know, in the sentence. I think it was from Gandhi who say, be the change you want to see in the world. There's nothing stronger than that, right? Such a great quote. Yes. So, I mean, they have to be ambassadors, right? With their children, with the teachers, with the, you know, mm -hmm. coaching also, mentoring. It's very, very strong, you know, help other women in your own company. When you see a woman alone in your own company, support her. That's very important because that, that authority here can be very powerful, right? And uh, I mean, that's basically be an example, be an ambassador, talk, demonstrate your commitments and demonstrate, you know, and talk about uh, the meaning you find in your job, why you love it, why you think it's important that there are more women in it, right? That's, I love that. So everyone listening, your charge is to go out and be a sweet ambassador. Right. Think about how you can better support other women. Even exactly. think about maybe how you can correct, right? Language and assumptions in our culture when you see them and they, they are gendered in their, their approach and potentially discriminatory. Exactly. So I appreciate that call to action. One final item I wanted to make sure to cover was that I recall that you all are working on an India-specific analysis with GenderScan. Can you talk a little bit about that India analysis and what other projects are in your, your future? Well, for India, it was a very, I mean, first of all, we're so proud and glad of, to be a partner of, of SWE because to me, it seems, you know, we navigate a lot. We have 100 partners worldwide on the SWE, on the GenderScan survey, right? We've had 30,000 respo responses to our GenderScan 2021. We've, you know, so 100 partners worldwide. I would say we know a little bit about who's doing what, right? And to me, you're one of the most 
most uh, forceful and, and dynamic organization. And we're so proud. And what, that's why we've put so much energy in making it work for you, because I, I'm convinced we can move forward. So in India, what we found out for you is the fact that, you know, regarding students, it's an example of what we saw, uh, what I discussed before, which is basically, yet you know, there is no confidence gap between boys and girls in secondary school. They're as good as boys. And there are no stereotypes which could prevent girls from studying STEM. So that's one of the findings, you know, uh, in, 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 in that we, we, we got. But the problem will come after, as always, you know, with the issue of women in STEM and responsibilities and work and so forth. So, so it's, it's an excellent example of what happens in developing countries where you have a high percentage of women in STEM studies, mm -hmm. but it's not always translates in, you know, a more important percentage of women in STEM jobs. And we are so much, you know, excited about what we think of going hopefully together in 2024 with this global survey. We would like to make it even, even more forceful and, and sh you know, go over the top and, and go beyond the 30,000 responses in the world and hopefully, you know, move, you know, towards a new frontier. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so excited about a prospect of the, of the global survey and continuing to work with you all. Yeah. Um, again, we are all... <laughs> We are all, you know, data-driven folks as, as uh, engineers and technologists and always appreciate the, the learnings and findings. For folks who are listening who might have be really excited about GenderScan after hearing this podcast, how can they get involved? Well, uh, on SWE, you have a good, li great listing of all uh, of our s surveys. And then you can uh, basically uh, stay tuned and together we'll be launching this global survey and moving forward. Very exciting. Looking forward to that partnership. I think that is about all of our time for this podcast. Claudine, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to hear about GenderScan, about your findings, about your data, and giving some action and ideas to our listeners about what they can do to help move us forward as we all look forward to a world with gender parity in STEM. Okay, thanks a lot. I'm your FY24 SWE president, Alexis McKittrick. And from all of us at SWE... Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.